Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Annabelle Gerwich is the author of You're Leaving When? Adventures in Downward Mobility. She's the New York Times bestselling author of the memoir, I See You Made an Effort, and Wherever You Go, There You Are. Annabelle is the former host of TBS's Dinner and a Movie, with essays appearing in The New Yorker, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and more. She makes regular appearances on PBS NewsHour, Real Time with Bill Maher, and NPR. A finalist for the Thurber Prize for American Humor Writing, she is one of the most recognizable female humorists, giving insightful and inspiring talks on finding humor in life's challenges, the redemptive power of storytelling, aging, and Jewish and humanist-themed messages. She frequently serves as MC for charitable events and offers storytelling, comedy, and memoir workshops. Welcome, Annabelle. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I am so happy to be here and to get a chance to talk to you, Zibby. And also, I'm you know looking at your fabulous bookshelves, which seem to be color-coordinated, which is, you know, just represents a tremendously aspirational aspiration, an aspirational aspiration of mine. <laughs> well, honestly, I'm looking at your bookshelves as we were just discussing, and 
inside me, what I want to do is like jump through the Zoom, take them all off the shelf and like <laughs> redo it all for you. <laughs> so I don't like sit well when everything's not like lined up. So, you know, everybody works the way they work. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, I'm the kind of person that has a very organized bookshelf. In my, in my mind, I'm a lot of things that I am not actually in reality. And in fact, that is the subject of this new book, Making Peace with Some of That. This new book is fantastic. And I just want to say how excited I was when I got this advanced copy, whenever that was. I feel like it was forever ago because I've read like all your books. I love what you write. I love your writing style. I've been like reading you since you've been, I don't know, I've just been following along with you. And I was thrilled that now I'm doing a podcast and you have a book coming out. So there you go. (laughs) Thank you so much. You know, I so appreciate that. I started, you know, this is my second career. i I'm on like career number, I don't know, 17 or something, but you know, like everybody, right? I've reinvented a thousand times, but I spent, you know, many years acting and then hosting TV shows. And the thing is, is I've always been such a voracious reader and I really taught myself to read, to write from reading. And the thing is, I really am started writing when I started on NPR as a commentator. I really, my goal was to write, to reflect the life that I wasn't exactly reading about, you know, my, in my, again, like in my imagination, I mean, I love Nora Ephron. I mean, she, she set the bar for, I think women and well, I mean, look, look, she's beyond a, you know, female writer, but just sort of reflecting women's lives, you know, with, I mean, she was such an amazing writer, but I never have lived in like that life of Nora Ephron, the amazing life of Nora Ephron. So I was like, well, where, how can I reflect the life of women who, you know, reinvent 17 times, who, you know, maybe the hem of their pants is being held up with duct tape one day, <laughs> you know, like, what about the mom who, you know, who, who accidentally, you know, locks her keys in the car while she's got her baby, which happened to me a thousand times, you know, when my, when my kid was little or just, you know, the, the, the sort of, I don't want to say low rent because I lead, you know, a vastly privileged life compared to a lot of people, but, you know, the financial insecurity of women's lives is something that's been really important to me to reflect. And also the precarious nature of identity and, and just of our existence. That's been something I wanted to reflect. And, and so I'm just so really happy that you've been following along because this book is like the chronicle of this next place in life, which turns out to be not like a Nancy Myers movie that I saw. But this would be a great movie too. I mean, <laughs> the scene with you, with the French, what is his name? I'm forgetting his name. Your French border Jean-Luc. in the little short. Yeah. Yes, Jean-Luc. Of course it's Jean-Luc. I should have just made that up and I would have been right. <laughs> anyway, like that whole scene where you take in a border and you're trying to make a little extra money on the side and your house smells like duck lard and bacon and it's in your hair. And, you know, just you write in such a visual way, these scenes that, you know, if, you could write like, woe is me, right? And it could be a sob story, but it's not. It's hilarious the way you write it. Oh, thank you so much. The stories about home sharing, which, you know, is something that so many people have been doing, even through the pandemic. And I think this will last after the pandemic as well. Monetizing your home 
to underwrite, you know, my mortgage after my divorce, that seemed to be the best idea. Of course, the idea of taking in borders and becoming a landlady. I mean, I did have this image in my mind, blousy house dress, cigarette in hand, you know, landlady. And the funny thing is, is I love having people stay in my house. I I thought it was going to be horrible. Now, the first, you know, the first story of having someone stay there, the French Jean-Luc, who cooked bacon 24 hours a day and smoked weed 24 hours a day. You know, it was, that story just I mean, it just was like, you know, it's all copy, right? It it just turned into this hilarious misadventure. But even that, you know, I found was something that just took me out of my comfort zone. And I don't even regret that one. Of course, I've had all these amazing tenants after Jean-Luc's tenancy. But I mean, I just couldn't resist writing about how Jean-Luc, after being a Francophile for, you know, so much of my life, how he took from me my love of all things French, my love of people who are 27 years old, my love of the melancholy. I think I wrote that he taught me that ennui is just another way of saying you're a bummer to be around. But it's just, you know, I just, I just try to write these stories that actually like redeem experiences because, you know, complaining would just be too easy. So to find the redemption, you know, in a way, I like to think of the writing and the chronicling of stories and adventures as a way of, for myself, finding every silver lining, you know, because that's the only way to, you know, survive in life without becoming, you know, bitter, which is just so unattractive, sadly. So when you include scenes like, for instance, in the beginning when you're having coffee with a girlfriend and you didn't know that she was sort of in a financial similar spot as you and, you know, you end up like clutching each other at the end and, you know, really bonding over that. Is that the type of thing where like it was funny that you found some humor in it to begin with or were you really just like having a bad day? Like, do you ever, (laughs) do you, do you always are you a- always able to kind of turn it to see the humor is what I'm trying to ask. Not very well. You no, know, I, I think it might be a muscle that I have trained to do this, but you know, sometimes things are only funny later, but I pretty, it happens pretty quickly for me that experiences translate into humor pretty quickly because that is my coping mechanism. I mean, you know, it it becomes sort of a cliche to say that humor is one of the few things that's covered on my health insurance plan that I can afford these days. There's there's no deductible for humor, you know, but it, it really is the saving grace for me. I mean, there are some things that this is where I always try to really exercise some detachment in my writing. So I'm writing about some really serious things in this book. You know, I am the mother of a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. My kid, Ezra, who uses pronouns they, them, theirs, which, okay, that's another chapter in the book, actually. I wrote a chapter called Free to Be They and Them, 
right? Which is, you know, of course, a nod to Free to Be You and Me, which I grew up on and loved so much, right? But, you know, learning how to do my pronouns, that was so hard, just so incredibly hard. But then, you know, that's something that even as I was going on that adventure, okay, that I saw some humor in that immediately. But, you know, dealing with parenting of a child who turns out to have addiction. Okay, there's nothing funny about that. But the situ, I mean, this is one of the most profound experiences. So in the writing of the chapter, you're doing all the right things, everything's going to work out. I have to, you know, ride this line of, you know, I need to affirm the seriousness of this issue. At the same time, you know, how can I live day to day with this experience without thinking, you know, there's some humor, finding, seeing the humor in it. You know, I mean, when my kid, when I discovered that my kid had a backpack full of film canisters filled with weed, which is the internationally recognized sign of I'm dealing weed. You know, <laughs> how could I not like be clocking the humor in the fact that Ezra accidentally texted me instead of their friend with a text that read, I'm so fucked, baby. Mom just found my weed. I mean, like, oh my God, you know, it was so ridiculous. <laughs> and then that that's a story that actually I, I published in the New York Times about after they went to rehab and got sober, which, you know, of course is, I'm just so, I, I couldn't actually write this story if that weren't the case. You know what I mean? I mean, that's right. true. Like it would, it would be impossible to see detachment really if, if that weren't the case. So I'm so grateful for that. But, you know, I wrote the story in the New York times about not knowing what criteria to base, whether they were ready to go back to college on. So I came up with the idea that we would do an escape room and we were, locked together in a zombie escape room. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it just, it's so, yeah, I, I didn't do that for the humor purpose, but the idea that, you know, okay, this is kind of ridiculous is, you know, it happens pretty, it happens pretty quickly for me. And I do, I do hope that people, when my readers will will take that journey with me, knowing that I am honoring the seriousness of of these issues. You know, it would be it would be upsetting if people didn't think. I mean, I take I take all I take everything so seriously that I have to find the humor because I do spend an awful lot of time suffering over things. And if I can make that change and make and see, you know, these any silver linings, it really keeps me going. So I I hope it does the same for readers, you know. Hundred percent. It's good to use that lens. I mean, humor, as you said, there's just nothing that can change your mood faster than finding something funny about something terrible, right? It's like how you survive. You know, comedians always say something, there's that phrase like too soon, because you Mm -hmm. just wonder, you don't, you don't want to offend people and you want to honor these things. And that's, that's also one of my goals in writing about my financial precariousness and financial insecurity. I feel like that's something that's very taboo. 
And for me, that's what I hope is my sweet spot in writing about just that edge of like, you know, can we talk about this? Because I feel like I'm sort of the anti-Instagram. All of my books (laughs) represent like, you know, it's like, you know, Instagram is like, is so aspirational. People, you know, not to mention any names, but in their lingerie holding their babies, that does not look like my life. And fantastic for you, but my life is filled with, you know, a different kind of thing. So I, I, you know, like I include a chapter in this book about, having the Mona Lisa procedure, which I characterize as having my vagina reupholstered. <laughs> and you know, I did that because I had no idea, you know, what this was gonna be like to come into my 50s and find things were not working as well as I expected and what could I do about it? And so I really want to just, you know, hit those taboo subjects or or things that are not getting on the Instagram feeds. <laughs> like the the dark Instagram or something. Yes. Yes. Or the yes. dark web or something. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Can you go backwards a little bit? I know you said you had like 17 different careers and all of that. But how did you, when did you first start writing and realizing that like you were good at it or that you enjoyed it or that you wanted to sell it and all of that? When did that start? So I started my, my, my really, my only thing I wanted to do was act growing up. And my goal was to appear in off, off, nowhere near Broadway shows where you had a pretty good chance of sleeping with the majority of the cast. Now, I attained that goal. <laughs> it's actually not that hard to do, as it turned out. I mean, I just I just wanted to act, you know, be an actress. And I was so fortunate to have that youthful confidence to, you know, move to New York, go to NYU, drop out immediately, getting starting work in theater. And so I had that career and I was on a soap opera for, gosh, for three years. And it's funny at that time, you know, one of the things that I think is so strange about the time we live in right now, this pandemic is so isolating and it's hard to see my own child who's 22 now not have the benefit of the kind of community that I built as in my early 20s. And that is one of the subjects of this book is, is also the, you know, community is again, one of those things that I think is so important. In lieu of a vacation home, I have (laughs) friends. I've invested in friendships instead of real estate. Yay me. (laughs) But uh, but so I mentioned that because I'm so excited. My book is launching with very dear girlfriends. You know, one of the first events I'm doing is with Marissa Tomei, who actually I met when she was on a soap opera and I was on a soap opera. And when there was a lot of camaraderie in that acting world. And that's something I really loved and thrived on. And that was my first career as an actress doing theater TV. TV shows and eventually dinner in a movie. But during that time, I started as a commentator on NPR completely by accident because I had acted in a Harry Shearer from This Is Spinal Tap movie and mentioned that I was such a fan of NPR and I wanted to be a commentator. And they thought at NPR that I was writing my dialogue on and my copy on not necessarily the news on HBO. I was the news anchor. I wasn't writing it and I didn't tell them I wasn't writing this satire. And they hired me, you know, 
I just didn't correct that misconception. And that was my first opportunity as a writer. And I just was such a voracious reader. And I was reading essays. I was reading S.J. Perlman. I was reading Nora Ephron. I was reading David Rakoff and I and David Sedaris. And I just love that writing. And that's what I wanted to do. And I was so lucky to have that opportunity. And that was really when I started writing. And then I ended up oh, being fired by Woody Allen from this play off Broadway and then edited my first book, which was a collection of essays about being fired and using humor to, to rebound from that experience. And that really set me off on this path of taking things that were in the cultural zeitgeist, because it, it really, I don't really interest my, I'm, I don't, I'm not that interesting. I think what's, what I have is a purview by which to, you know, write about the experiences that everyone else goes through. You know, I lead, you know, I think a, a pretty ordinary life. I'm a mom, I'm a working mom. And so I'm just using my own experience. I, I like to say I use memoir to write about my own experience in things that are in the cultural zeitgeist. The funny thing is when I started writing this book and I subtitled it Adventures in Downward Mobility, I was actually worried that, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, maybe my experience as someone who was experiencing financial insecurity wouldn't be relatable to my readers. And I had no idea, you know, who could foresee the pandemic and the economic impact and how actually, you know, even more timely this would become. By the way, of other careers, though, just, just to say this is so nutty. I am that person who, like, in the early 80s, I was making a line of jewelry in my studio apartment with a hot glue gun, taking apart jewelry that my grandmother had given me, combining it with stuff I was buying at thrift stores. And I ended up with a line of jewelry at Bergdorf Goodman's. I, I, 
So I'm just a scrappy Jewish girl, basically. My friend Melanie Mayron from 30-something made up that phrase for us because she had been an actress and now she's a director. And, you know, for some of us, you know, we hit these points in our careers where either we're not making as much money as we were, or also, you know, I have varied interests too. I think like a lot of us, we we're having many careers. And so I like to reflect that in my writing. And so that's just some of the careers. I mean, I also, you know, I perform. I mean, basically, I'll sell you my books out of the trunk of my car, which is what I'm going to be doing when my book comes out in March, because we don't have live events. I am not, I'm not kidding. Anyone who lives within, in the range of my house in Los Angeles, I will be masked up with gloves on out of the back of my Prius, I'm going to (laughs) be signing books because, you know, scrappy. We got to be scrappy in this economy. Why not? You might as well. (laughs) That's amazing. It's all just so inspiring because it's like the ultimate making lemonade out of lemons or whatever the expression is, right? It's like everything you turn into like entertainment gold. It's, it's really very, it's just awesome. Well, it's just really you know, awesome. I, 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 I don't know. I'm saying, th- I mean, thank you. It's just a fun thing because <laughs> I actually have a lemon tree and oh, I persist in calling the output from my tree, a crop, my every year I have a crop. It's basically two lemons, <laughs> but you know, you know, I love these lemons. For some reason, I used to have a, it used to grow a lot of fruit. And this past year, I got these two lemons. They were each the size of a baby's head. They were huge, but only two. It's like the tree stopped producing. It was very stressed. Like everybody in 2020, I got two lemons for my lemon tree, but it's still, it's still my crop. I harvest my crop. It's a little ridiculous, but I just, you know, it's, I do, I'm a very, if you read my writing, you will know I'm an anxious person. And so I have to find humor. It's really this, this, you know, my, my, my really big coping mechanisms. So I share that gene. I might not be as scrappy. I think you're a little more flexible than I am, but (laughs) I definitely share the anxiety gene with you and, and the desire to have things be funny. Although I'm not as good, I think it's probably turning them into (laughs) comedy. So now that you have this new book coming out, I just wanted to know, what does your ex-husband think about this? That's interesting. So, you know, I know it might not look this way, but I really try to think a lot about how I portray other people in my books. And I think, I hope at least, that what I've written here, I had a very specific goal concerning the divorce and the aftermath. I wanted this book to be a reflection on the aftermath of divorce. I'm not actually able to really write about that right now. I just, that's, I don't have the detachment to write it. And I don't even know that I, you know, I mean, maybe I'll get to that. I have to have a certain detachment in order to write about something. And so I, I tried, and you can tell me, Zippy, if I've, if I've succeeded here, I really try not to write about the divorce. And I didn't want people to, and I, gosh, I'd love to hear from readers about this. I didn't want people 
to hate my ex-husband or think, oh, it didn't, I just didn't want to create him as a figure. I, I just don't find anything redeeming about that. Like, what does that say about me? I think marriage is so challenging and every marriage, every happy family is happy. Oh God, what is the Tolstoy quote? Now I'm getting it wrong. All unhappy families are alike. Yes. You know, you could say the same thing for marriages, right? I mean, gosh, you know, uh, so it was important to me to not make him this like bad guy, boogeyman character. So I've tried to really minimize his appearance in the book and just write about how I have moved on or don't move on, how I struggle to do that. And because I don't want you thinking about him. And for me also, the best humor comes from, I always like to, you know, what's that phrase, take it on the chin myself. I'm the target of my humor, all of my failings, because that's the only thing I really have, you know, control over. I just don't, I don't like to set up other people. So, so in terms of that, I mean, I mentioned a few things like how I didn't, you know, the red flags I didn't see, like the fact that my ex was, you know, wasn't really keeping up his end in the household chores. And, and, and that maybe instead of looking at emotional detaching from marriage, we should really look at how much and look at things like housekeeping as a barometer of a marriage's health. But that's really my reflection on it. I mean, I just, he hasn't read this book and I don't know how he'll feel. I I feel I'll also mention, you know, I mentioned that when I was cleaning out my house, you know, it's so funny in the TV series, Divorce, Sarah Jessica Parker, in the opening scenes of that show, you know, she struggles over whether or not to keep her ex-husband's golf, you know, uh, golf clubs in the house and, you know, throwing out his, you know, plaid shirts or whatever like that. I'm often writing in reaction to things that I see. That wasn't what my experience was. I found love letters that I had sent to my ex and then also nude pictures of myself. And, you know, I write in the book about what I did in reaction to that. I, again, like, I don't want to write about, you know, him and his actions. It's what you do with it. Cause it's, it's just too unattractive. So I don't know. I just, I, I hope that I have, you Zippy, what do you think? Am I in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, I just, I, I have an ex-husband. And so uh-huh. I just have a particularly, like my radar is up for what people yes. say and what are people yes. allowed to say and can get away with or can't. And so I think maybe I just had a heightened sensitivity to those scenes. Right, right. But like when you, when you were talking about how much stuff he left behind and how you like, didn't you send him an envelope full of like his nail clippings or whatever you found in your bedside table? And you were like, he didn't really appreciate that. Or I didn't get a thank you note back or something. Funny. <laughs> you know, that was not my finest moment. And I, I, I <laughs> guess that's what you yes, said. That I included my- that specifically because yes, I, I, I realized, and, and, you know, it's something I actually, I didn't manage to work into the book, this exact phrase, but you know, there's that phrase skin in the game. And I realized that this dust that I found in his side of, you know, the bedside table on his side of the bed, all this dust. And I realized, oh, my God, he left this. It's like he shed his skin and he left it in the house. 
and I put it in an envelope. There were also nail clippings. It's true. And the nude, it, you know, and the, no, I, I, did I send the nude pictures back? I I have to reread that. Yeah, I think I did. I think you kept it. I know I, I can't actually, I, I did keep the pictures, but I sent back this dust and nail clippings. And I included that because that's terrible. Nobody should do that. I mean, it's, it's a reflection on me, you know, that I didn't just, you know, throw it out. And yes, my ex never mentioned it. Never <laughs> acknowledged getting this envelope. It didn't even say like, this is, you know, I think you left this, you know, it was just disgusting. And I, I did do that. And I, I did write it. Yeah. It seemed like he had packed an overnight bag and just you know gone Left away for the weekend. Else. But yeah. you know, maybe men are different or maybe my ex was different. And again, it's sort of, I hope it's the, ref- it's, it's the aftermath, but it, it's not a divorce book. And that was really important no, no, to me. I, I didn't mean to yeah, suggest no, no, it. No, of course. I know. But it's just interesting because I've, I really labored over that. And in the end, what I ended up doing Zippy was I went through the book specifically like to count how many mentions I had of him. And then I even took some things out that I, some of my favorite things, but I just felt like, okay, too many mentions, you know, because ultimately it's like a book is kind of an algorithm of math of, you know, of like how much attention in, and it's kind of number, a numbers thing, you know, of how much attention I give to each subject. So, you know, I had even more stories of home sharing, but then I took some of those out because those were going to dominate the book. And so in some sense, it's, I always look at a book of essays as like a puzzle, you know, of numbers. Well, there's this much attention on this subject. And it was really fun for me to include, there's a couple of chapters that are are really sort of more big think chapters. The chapter on resistance to retail therapy, that was a chance for me to write about how women are sold the bra, the bag, the brow, the bath that will change everything. I mean, that's kind of something I I love to do these cultural essays. And then there's a chapter where I skewer all those wish fulfillment fantasy movies about women who are, you know, prescribed the island cure or the manton cure, these, you know, these, these kind of uh, fluffy films. And so in order to in order to get that stuff in, you know, I have to balance the other stuff and I'm never really convinced I get it right. You know, I mean, there's this writing a book is, is always going to break your heart. I, I don't, I didn't realize that before I started writing, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it just, there's always something that doesn't make it in there. There's always that wonder, did I, Oh, I, I hope I didn't, you know, like, I hope I didn't portray my ex in any way that is more negative than how I've portrayed myself, <laughs> you know, because, because that's just not attractive. And, and there's always some issues that I realize later, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't get that in there, which is, I guess, why I, I keep writing more books. I keep trying to, there's just, you know, there's always more stories. And, and when I was growing up, I grew up in Florida and I used to love to peel sunburn. (laughs) This is so embarrassing, but you know, it's like addictive. Like if like, you know, you're sunburn and it's peeling or like paint peeling. I love to peel away layers and 
it just never ends. So that I, I guess that's why I just keep writing books because there's always there's always more layers that I haven't gotten to in the last. Maybe I'll send you some some glue or rubber cement because that's very good for peeling as well. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I I have stockpiles of this for my kids in the next room. So if I get to cleaning out, I'll send some your way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, everyone in America cleaned out their closets during the pandemic and except me. And that's actually, you know, a chapter in the book is about what you get left left with after if you've been married and your spouse leaves and your kid goes off to college and your parents die. And then my house is just like, as I write in the book, it's, it's like one of those sediment maps, you know, of the crust of the earth and all the layers. This is, this is what I'm living with. I'm not sure if I'm, ever going to clean out those closets until I move <laughs> eventually <laughs> one day. I just, even this pandemic hasn't been enough to get me to do the magic, the life-changing magic of Marie Kondo. It's never, and then they just fill up again anyway. So don't worry about it. You, you'll, it, it's not like everything is done. It's, it's like losing weight. It's not like you lose it once and then you don't have to lose it again. You know, it's, it's always going to come back. So don't, don't beat yourself up too much about true. it. I, you know, I think, you know, when you also live in a family home, if you have kids, you know, you, the minute, I mean, it's true. The minute you clear out one space, more stuff just appears. I, Always more stuff. Crazy. (laughs) Okay. Last question for you. I I mean, I could listen to you all day, honestly. This is like so fun, but do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh gosh. You know, I teach workshops in writing and I just, I love helping people to develop that voice. I'm just always amazed at people's reflections on life. I'm always encouraging. I mean, first of all, I think that writing is such a great redemptive act. Whether or not you're published, you're writing for your family, you're writing for yourself, it's a way to reclaim with detachment your experiences in life. There's no writing that is lost to have a benefit, you know, to yourself, you know, so that's the first thing. I, I think it's really important to distinguish between looking for a writing career and just writing, you know, because that's nothing but redemptive to the soul. A writing career is just full of, you know, endless challenges. But look, we we live in a time with this opportunities are as big as the worldwide internet, which it might seem like we've made it to the end of in this pandemic, but we haven't, you know, and I am just always astonished at coming upon new writing somewhere. Whether it's in a blog, it's in a book, it's in in a magazine, it, it's just astonishing. And I, I really take the words of Catherine Mansfield. That's something. There's a line that she wrote that I think about every day, and I it guides me as a writer, and it's what I look to in other people's writing. You know, she wrote, "From my life, I write to you in your life," and. I think about that line and I think it's such a profound idea that writing connects us. It's the connective tissue between our lives. And honestly, in this time where we're, you know, I'm sheltering alone and write reading 
other work. And I am a, still a voracious reader. I'll read, send me readers, send me your blogs. I'll read them. I love it. I just, I just, the way it connects us, I think particularly we've seen in this moment how important it is, this human connection and sharing of experience. It's just so important. It turns out to be, you know, the anchor. And for me, reading and reading has become even more important now because because of the intimacy that, you know, in the lack of human contact, reading is, is, is just the most intimate act that I feel like if you're thinking about writing and you have writing, there's someone out there who needs to read your writing. I'm just astonished at our appetite for that and the human need that just only grows greater for human contact. And what I really consider, even though I write humor, to be really a sacred thing, a sacred compact, you know, which is why I love and I invite any readers to tell me things that they relate to or to ask me questions because it's a conversation, you know, and so I I encourage people to bridge that gap to bring us closer together through writing. I love that. It's amazing. Well, Annabelle, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books. Thank you for all of your books. Thank you in particular for this most recent one, You're Leaving When, Adventures in Downward Mobility, which was fantastic and gave me a much needed laugh. I even read paragraphs out loud to my husband. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, it's, listen to how funny this is. I was like, but you know, it's even funnier if you read the whole chapter because it all kind of like played off each other until you got to this section. And he was like, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so thank you. And I hope to stay in touch. This is oh, really fantastic. I love that, Zibby. Thank you so much. Well, have a great day. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.